There are these, by definition, regional or local economic entities that create spaces, literal spaces for people to gather and to enjoy things together, but also kind of figurative spaces of community where people can be like, oh, that's my brewery or that's my brewer. Or, you know, you create these connections with people that are by definition local. That's what a microbrewery is. Welcome to the Alternative Design Podcast, where we explore the power of foresight and design to create future-ready spaces. In each episode, we talk to diverse voices to discover the ways our world is changing and uncover insights that will influence the built environment of tomorrow. I'm your host, Kaylin Reed, an interior designer and certified futurist. And I want to help designers think like futurists so we can take actionable steps today to become makers of a better future. It's an unspoken feeling when you step into a craft brewery that draws you in to enjoy a delicious draft pour with your friends and family. But this isn't just about beer. It's about how microbreweries foster a sense of community and belonging. In this special two-part episode of the Alternative Design Podcast, we're taking a tour of the craft beer world, starting with my local brewery, Ferndale Project. This tap room isn't just serving up incredible IPAs, It's also a place where many people say they belong. We'll make some interesting connections between microbreweries and the workplace by exploring how the shared ideas of craft, community, and culture can elevate our sense of belonging. Join us as we toast to the craft beer movement, a quest for quality ingredients, diverse flavors, and the unmistakable touch of the local community, an echo in today's hybrid work era. This is episode 18, Crafting Culture and Belonging, Part 1. Picture it. A vibrant up-and-coming city, a busy street. It's a place familiar yet evolving, anchored by a unique establishment that seems to be a magnet for laughter, connection, and belonging. You make your way to the counter, where a list of uniquely crafted IPAs brewed from a variety of locally sourced ingredients are on a chalkboard. You can't choose just one, so you have to try many versions of all of them to share with your friends. After handing you a flight board full of samples, you exchange a smile with the brewer and pass the play area where parents are perched on a bar overlooking their toddlers bouncing up and down on risers. You make your way to the fenced-in patio where dog owners have filled every available seat with their trusted companion by their side. There's an open seat next to the fire pit, which on a cool day in October feels like the coziest choice to hang out. This isn't just a microbrewery. This is my local brewery, Ferndale Project. And I don't think I've ever been in a physical place that I've experienced a greater sense of belonging in. And I'd like to share my thoughts on why. So humanity has been utilizing this particular tool, this processing tool of fermentation for a very long time. People think of the obvious ones like beer or wine or something like this, but all kinds of other products are also fermented, which is a kind of way of changing or transforming different products into something else. This is Colleen Miles. She's an associate professor at Texas State University. She's also a cultural geographer and a political ecologist and happens to specialize in beer geographies. The idea is that human society has been able to flourish because we're able to create more reliable 
uh, and tasty and healthy, safe food products, uh, fermentation being a part of that. And that flourishing can come in the way of developing intellectual pursuits, can be spiritual development, can be artistic uh, pursuits that we can pursue after we've kind of created a more stable caloric baseline, right? And then on top of that, if you get into fermented things, there's that kind of psychotropic element to it as well, where people can be more creative or be more open to connections or things like this. So that's kind of the like long, the long-term look at it. So essentially, beer has been making us more productive for thousands of years. In the shorter term, breweries are integral parts of communities. There are these, by definition, regional or local economic entities that create spaces, literal spaces for people to gather and to enjoy things together, but also kind of figurative spaces of community where people can be like, oh, that's my brewery or that's my brewer. Or, you know, you create these connections with people that are by definition local. That's what a microbrewery is, is that it's at a reduced scale. Okay. So how do we go from these historic pubs to your hipster microbrewery down the street? After the prohibition of the 1920s, there became a handful of really large brewing companies that dominated the market. Beer became mass-produced and the industry consolidated. That's until the 1960s, when a young Fritz Maytag decided to purchase the then-failing Anchor Brewing Company in San Francisco. After purchasing the company, a wave of creditors created a need to make money real fast. So Fritz devised a new strategy to bolster beer sales. He was going to make the beer better. Higher quality ingredients, unique styles, and more options. Not so unlike what our hybrid work friends are wanting right now. Craft beer enthusiasts revolted against homogeny and mass production. Employees are revolting against return to office mandates and are wanting instead to feel like they belong. And so for whatever, you know, drivers that might get you to latch on to one particular brewery or one particular set of breweries, it's like there is that sense of belonging. There's that sense of connection. And I think part of that is related to this fermentation, you know, this craftsmanship or craftspersonship that goes on. And uh, the act of that catalytic change, that material transformation that occurs, I think is compelling to people. Because if you just had in front of you some hops and some grain and some yeast and some water, that's not valuable to you. But when you put all those things together and transform them into beer, it it is something that's valuable to you. So just like how beer is crafted from a variety of non-local ingredients to create something unique, workplaces have a number of employees from diverse backgrounds and locations that need to be brewed together perhaps in a headquarters or in a local office space. But it's more than just putting a bunch of people in a room and saying, here, you belong now. No one wants hop tea. But the magic is in the crafting, the alchemy of what happens when you introduce meaning, something people can get behind. Purpose is a catalyst for belonging. If you have a workplace where there's people that are independent units, but then they're supposed to come together toward a shared mission or a shared goal or something, What factors are allowing them to make those connections, to create those synergies, to, you know, make a greater outcome from their shared individual inputs? And that's like exactly what fermentation is about, right? I mean, it's a, it's a useful metaphor, even in that circumstance that seems like it has nothing to do with fermentation because it does, right? Because those individual ingredients of beer that I listed off are nothing until you've brought them together in the right way, in the right temperature 
by the right actant, you know, thawed for just the right amount of time. So there's certain things you have to do to make the beer become beer. I believe a sense of belonging is a critical factor to making that greater outcome Colleen is referring to. A shared sense of purpose or interest can act as a catalyst in the brewing process, if you will. A year out from the Great Resignation, we're still seeing employees wanting greater transparency and personal purpose and values. According to a survey done by Gartner earlier this year, 82% of employees said it's important for their organization to see them as a person, not just an employee. But only 45% of employees believe their organization actually sees them this way. What can companies do to nurture a communal sense of purpose? Well, what are breweries doing? The study you're referring to, I believe, is the advocacy and brewing, brewing change work that we've been doing, me and some of my grad students. And the axes or domains that we found breweries were conducting in were economic and environmental and social or community. But when we got down into it, breweries are advocating for all kinds of different issues. And many of it's like based around what's pertinent in their own community, which just further, you know, strengthens that notion that we've had for some decades now that breweries are firmly established in their communities. There are breweries hosting events of a variety of kinds, raising funds or allowing other groups to come in and use the space because people are aware of these spaces and they like to go to them and they're well-designed. So even just granting access to those spaces to do other activities is a function that they can serve. I know for my local brewery, Ferndale Project, they're constantly rallying behind local causes by opening their doors and hosting events like pet shelter adoption days, drag queen bingo, pop-up exhibits, and more. There are tons of opportunities for people to get involved and create organic connections. I can't tell you how many times we've brought our dog Barry and inevitably had a conversation with another dog owner who's also rescued. As a designer, you have the power to design spaces that lend themselves to these kinds of organic connections that will lead to belonging. We'll get more into that in part two. But after the break, why third places like breweries are competing with the office and your home. This past spring, Kimball International held its first inaugural Future X event, where we invited a cohort of designers ranging in experience, discipline, and location to join us in Detroit for a foresight workshop on the future of belonging in design. One of the questions we asked each designer was, what are you most excited or concerned about regarding the future? The stuff that excites me about the future is reimagining and re-envisioning a place and how we connect to our community. I think for so many years we've been stuck in this way of living and it's exciting to think about how we can change those things. And then also having choice and freedom at work as well, which has evolved. Um, And then a few things that concern me, I think relying and becoming codependent on technology to solve all of our problems, which I'm afraid of disconnecting from humans and kind of forgetting how to like have those spontaneous moments in everyday life and losing a sense of unknown with everyday life as well. This is Tess Albin and I work for HDR in Denver as an interior design coordinator. And you are listening to the Alternative Design Podcast. According to the mid-year survey conducted by the Craft Brewers Association, beer sales are actually down 2-3%, to which came as a shock considering the craft beer industry has been booming for years. But here's the interesting thing. 
microbreweries didn't experience the same decline. In fact, their profit numbers went up. This suggests a bright spot in the data, an enthusiasm for in-person top room experiences. Now, if we pivot back to the workplace, there's this constant concern about creating value for the in-person experience at the office. We've evolved from ping pong tables and free lunches to some organizations offering free childcare and even personal financial lending. But at this point, there's a miscommunication between employers and employees on what the actual value of physically being in the office is. We've all read the articles about CEOs who are making blanket statements with zero data and very little success rates. We have to stop forcing value that just isn't there. But here's the interesting thing. People do actually want to be in person. It's just not always at the office. Now, before you hit stop, stay with me here because I'm not saying in any way that the office is not relevant. In fact, you'll find that I'm saying the opposite. But according to this year's research from Swinburne University of Technology, they found that on average, people are working in third places, breweries included, two to three times per week and staying roughly 15 minutes to four hours. The top benefits that workers cited was the mental reset, community, and the social connections they provide. The respondents also said that working from a third place positively impacted their overall well-being. Am I saying that offices are irrelevant? Absolutely not. Quite the contrary. I think offices of the future will be more relevant than ever before if we can embody the sense of community and belonging that people are searching for. Kind of like what my local brewery, Ferndale Project, has done. So we opened our first brewery, Eastern Market Brewing Company, in 2017. And um, by 2018, 2019, we had run out of capacity and we started looking for a second location. This is Dane Barch, founder and managing partner of Elephant & Co., the parent company to Eastern Market Brewing Co. and Ferndale Project. And right around that time, a brewery that existed in Ferndale called Axel had announced they were closing. Axel had also done a really good job creating a sense of community at their location. Um, when they announced that they were closing, people were distraught. And so we saw a huge opportunity there to continue that community feeling that they had already built. And we struck a deal to take over that space. And, and you would you'd use the term third place, which I think Starbucks kind of made famous. And so we had talked about that a lot and wanted to continue that from what Axel had created. I will say that we essentially took all the funds we had to take on the space. And so we didn't really have much budget for any changes or design. And I think that was a blessing and a curse. At the time, I think the fact that we didn't have the funds to renovate the space right off the bat gave us some time to find out who we were and develop that concept. So when it came time to renovate the space and make it feel like it was truly for a nail project, we had a really good idea. In our next episode, we'll discuss the unexpected benefit of not being able to design the brewery right away. Dane will explain how waiting to explore their internal culture and connecting with the community of Ferndale allowed them to truly design a place to belong. So be sure to check out part two. Another thing I talk about a lot is that as the world grows and becomes more interconnected, we have millions of decisions that we make every single day. And that's why things like Amazon take off and, and there's a place for Amazon and I use Amazon almost every day. But it doesn't, I still have this like this bucket of emotional connection that I want to use. And that's where craft breweries, craft distilleries, 
local wineries can come in and and play a part in people's decision making. In an era of digital convenience and globalization, craft breweries remind us that these places hold a unique role in fulfilling our desire for an emotional connection and acting as a hub for the local community. So uh, before I uh, opened the breweries, I lived in England and um, I moved, I grew up in Ann Arbor and moved back home to start a family. Um, But my favorite thing about England was the pub scene. When we'd move to a new neighborhood, we'd just go to the local pub and we'd get to know people and get to understand what that neighborhood is about. And whenever we went around London, we'd always visit the pubs. And so when I came, I had no uh, interest or experience in craft beer before moving home or before opening Eastern Market Brewing Company, but I really missed that pub scene. And I realized moving here that craft beer is kind of the closest thing you have to that. Scholars have actually studied this reciprocal influence that breweries have on their communities. This really fascinating topic is one that Colleen has explored in depth, and she's even coined a term for it, fermented landscapes. This concept suggests that breweries and wineries can have a profound impact on the social fabric of a community, much like the traditional pubs Dane mentioned in England. The idea that I've been fermenting with with my fermented landscapes is that there's like a literal process of fermentation that we might talk about. But also a metaphorical process of transformation that you can talk about. There was, you know, for in my dissertation research, I did this comparative case study of land use change in this particular county in the Sierra Nevada foothills of California. Uh, and, you know, blah, blah. That was a lot of stuff. I talked about the rural urban interface and all this kind of thing. But one of the cases was a winery that had been a uh, had been ranch land prior to that. And it was turned into uh, a winery vineyard winery and event center in this in this kind of relatively small community and people really they thought it was great they were like okay now we have a value-added product we have a place we can go we have all of these things in it so it, it transformed the community in addition to transforming those grapes into wine but there's more to the story on why breweries are being so intentional about community building you know you might think they're altruistic and being like i'm going to forge connections in my community and maybe that is part of it, but also there's sort of a economic driver behind why they need to have a consumer base. If you think about food and agriculture production in general, there are sort of short supply chains and there's longer supply chains. That's, you know, they're like going to, by necessity, be a shorter supply chain because they need to get their product into the hands of the consumers relatively quickly. And so their need to have that short supply chain also reinforces and creates that value-driven notion of having a connection to community. What else they're doing? Hosting events, lots of hosting of events, a variety of kinds, raising funds or allowing other groups to come in and use the space for because people are aware of these spaces and they like to go to them and they're well-designed being a, being a designed <laughs> person on that end, you know, they're welcoming spaces that people are familiar with. So even just granting access to those spaces to do other activities is a, is a function that they can serve. There's a case to be made for companies having stronger connections with their communities. In an upcoming episode, I'll dive deeper into this topic and feature Mason Studio, an architecture firm in Toronto that has embraced their community by offering publicly accessible amenities like a coffee shop, a library, and even childcare. However, I'd like to highlight a significant shift that I believe will impact the future of the office. I recently came across an article in Bloomberg discussing the concept of work resorts. These are offices that are designed to be more than just places of work with features like restaurants, art galleries, and cafes that 
make them attractive destinations for not only employees, but also the general public. Meanwhile, we're witnessing a trend of large companies in major markets moving out of glass skyscrapers and business districts and relocating to smaller mixed-use environments. In our own industry, we're also seeing this shift with many furniture manufacturers, us included, moving to Fulton Market. It seems that there's a growing demand for a better work-life balance, and it's manifesting in the built environment as companies seek out locally inspired areas that blend work and leisure pretty seamlessly. The sense of belonging is subjective, but there seems to be a perceived value in spaces that possess a more unique character. So the question is, do people feel a stronger sense of belonging when the local community is intertwined with the office experience? Honestly, I didn't know much about the Ferndale community. I, I loved going to restaurants there and I've always heard good things, but I didn't know much until we actually acquired the space. And so those two years before the remodel really allowed us to get to know the community there and think about the design and, and what we wanted the space to look like. And a lot of it was in response to what our consumers wanted. The other thing that was a huge advantage to us is we have this membership program, Mub Club, but we have a lot of folks uh, that are all types of people. They're Detroiters, they're craft beer enthusiasts, and they had been to Axel many times. So it's just simple as putting out a survey and saying, like, what do you want to see here? What did you like? What did you not like? And that, that was huge. While we are seeing signals of companies downsizing in primary markets due to hybrid work and maybe even due to the influence of that perceived value we just mentioned, there are a lot of companies that aren't downsizing at all. No matter where you're located, though, belonging is deeply rooted in place. So maybe the future workplace looks like companies breaking away from the traditionally isolated office to a more community-oriented space. This is particularly important in the midst of not only hybrid work, but potentially as companies may become more decentralized. And forming ties with your local community can be as easy as asking them what they need. One of the biggest pieces of feedback we got, and it was a small minority, but it was very vocal, is that it was not, it actually was not ADA compliant. And so I guess they were ADA compliant in the sense of standards, but people in wheelchairs did not feel comfortable at that space based on how the patio was set. And so they met every specification that the city of Ferndale required, but they still just didn't feel a sense of belonging in that space. And so the first thing we did was remove all the gravel from the patio and replace it with bricks. And that just went a long way with um, those that need uh, accessible seating. And part of it was because the inside was ADA compliant, but everyone goes to Ferndale Project for the patio. And so if, if you're going to have a space that has a patio that's known for, make sure that it's available to everyone if you have the ability to do that. Inclusive design is clearly connected to belonging. And we'll be talking more about that and how exactly to create spaces that foster connection in our next episode. But if you'd like to learn more about going above and beyond the ADA guidelines to offer more inclusive experiences, scroll back in our episode lineup and listen to episode 12, Beyond Access. But I think what Ferndale Project is also teaching us is the importance of co-creation. They actively engaged the community and gave the community of Ferndale a voice in the design process. By involving people in the creation of a space, it allows them to have a sense of ownership and pride. When individuals contribute their ideas and expertise, they feel like they truly belong in that space. We didn't design a space and then the community came to that space. We met the community unintentionally because of the pandemic, but we met the community, learned about the community, and then created a space that reflected what the community wanted. There's something about the small scale of localism and its perceived connection to a sense of belonging 
a feeling of authenticity. It makes sense that microbreweries are associated with belonging because they directly reflect the community that surrounds them. We could continue to see companies relocate to more compact, hospitality-driven areas, just like we might see companies choose to stay and rethink their office footprint to be more accessible to the public. But I think what we need to be watching for is the potential for new client opportunities, with data pointing to a continuing demand for third places. It seems like we've been talking about hospitality-injected spaces for a long time, but I believe we could see places like cafes, hotels, and yes, breweries, needing workplace strategists to transform these inviting spaces into functional places to work from. I mean, I could easily see hospitality spaces needing to offer more private desking in addition to the community tables you often find at these locations. But for now, we'll continue our first-hand look at Ferndale Project in our next episode and unveil our latest research in collaboration with Aragami on some of the neuroscience of belonging and why culture is a critical piece of the puzzle. A question that is worth asking is that, is productivity a trap today? Are we as human beings innately motivated by the word productivity or by what it represents? No, but we are motivated by things like culture and need to belong. That's it for this episode. Stay tuned for part two of Crafting Culture and Belonging. A big thank you to Senior Foresight Manager Mark Bryan at Future Today Institute for helping us learn and adapt their signal collection, trend development, and scenario frameworks as we develop the content for these episodes. This episode was produced by myself, Andrew Reed, and Brandy Small. Audio production and scoring done by Andrew Reed. Alternative Design Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Kimball International. Thanks for listening.